Thank you so much for listening to the Four Generations podcast by Generations Church. We are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. In this episode of the podcast, Pastor John discusses the power of priority in his annual Making Room teaching series. Each week, we will encourage you to respond to Scripture and the Spirit. Let's get into this week's teaching. With that series this week, and we have a verse that we're going to read, and the uh, the book in the Bible is Haggai. It's chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. It says, the Lord of armies says this, think carefully about your ways, go up into the hills, bring down lumber and build the house, and I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is my declaration of the Lord of armies, because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. Awesome. Yeah, as Charity said, we're going to be doing uh, a new book today. Um, We're going to be all the way in Haggai. Some of you might have heard of it before, some of you might not. Uh, One of my favorites in the Minor Prophets, and one of the things that always cracks me up is call it Minor Prophets and Major Prophets, and really the only difference is it's just the size of the book. So, I have an inkling to really enjoy the Minor Prophets because if you look at Haggai, you go looking for it, you might miss it because in the Bible I'm using today, it all fits on one nice page, two chapters, short, clean. Only difference between Major and Minor Prophets. You get people like Isaiah who write 50 plus chapters. Listen, if it was like students, I would have been a minor student who did the bare minimum work. Here's the answer. Let me move on. I'm not giving you 10 pages of explanation and going further. But to really understand kind of where we're at in this story is we're following along with Israel. That's Old Testament. That's who we're following in this story. And so basically, let's let's kind of take it in a big picture real quick. So we get to the prophets, and what's happening right here is Israel, as God had first set up with them that he is going to be their God and they're going to be his people. He made a covenant with them. Basically, he defined the relationship and said, hey, We're going to work together, all right? I'm going to be your God. I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. And you're going to be my people. You're going to be faithful. And as you're faithful, I'm going to grow your family. You're going to see many generations. Israel's going to grow into this huge nation. We're also going to move into a great land, the promised land. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. We're going to have this great relationship, right? That's not much of what happens in the Old Testament. Spoiler if you haven't read too much about that. Israel... um, Let's just be honest, kind of sounds like unruly kids half the time. Sometimes they do really good and sometimes they do really bad. And that's the struggle. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. That's the struggle we get back and forth throughout the whole Old Testament. Israel has great moments where they uh, show their faithfulness to the one and only God, and they have their moments where they decide to make a sacred golden cow and worship another thing over here. And God has to deal with this. just the consequences of them making poor decisions and poor decisions going against God. And so what you get here in the prophets is basically a prophet is a mouthpiece of God, someone who is speaking a message on behalf of God to a group of people. And what we get here in the prophets is they continue to give these warnings to Israel. For many years, multiple different prophets, they give warnings of Israel breaking the covenant with God. 
And the way they would break the covenant multiple times was one, through idolatry, worshiping other false and gods that they would create or gods of other nations, not worshiping the one true God. And the second is through injustice. They would do things to themselves and other people that were evil and went against God's will. And when you would continue to do this, they would get warning after warning after warning. And after a while, the warning came to fruition in the destruction of Israel as they continued to go down their faithless path. And in, how was the time? 587 BC, the nation of Babylon came in, destroys Israel. Destroys them, exiles them, throws them out to the other nations. So Israel, who had the chosen promised land that God had set up for them, they're out. They're booted out now uh, through their faithlessness. And God, and we get to flash, go a little bit forward when Babylonian has collapsed, and we have a new nation in Persia who's ruling the land. And this new ruler of the land allows those exiled Israelites to go back into the land to rebuild the temple and go back home. So by the leadership, you're going to hear two different names. You're going to hear Joshua, who's the high priest of Israel at the time, and you got the other guy, Zerubbabel. That's a fun name, Zerubbabel, who is of, he's important because he's of the line of David. If you go back and you read in Kings and you hear of David, there's a big deal of his lineage and line that leads up to Jesus, but that's a whole other thing we can get into another time. Just know, he's important. These are the two leaders of the time, and they're going to help return Israel back home so they can begin to rebuild their lives there. So we're going to read through this together. You guys ready? We're going to read a bit today. So feel free to grab a Bible. If you don't have one, pull out your phones. I see some of you got your phones, which means you got your Bible app open. You can do it at home as well. We're going to start off chapter 1, verse 1. This is what it says. In the second year of King Darius, King Darius was for Persia ruling over the land, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet of Haggai, and it went to two people. It went to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, the high priestess. And then you have Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. Oh, said it backwards, Zerubbabel, line of David. Joshua, the high priest. Haggai speaking to them by God, and he says this. The Lord of armies says this. These people say, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through the prophet of Haggai and asked, Is it time, is it a time for you yourselves to live in paneled houses while God's house lives in ruins? Now the Lord of armies says this, Think carefully about your ways. You've planted a lot, but you've harvested very little. You've ate a lot, but you never seem to be satisfied enough. You've drank a lot, but you never feel happy enough. You put on a lot of clothes, but you don't ever seem to be warm. The wage earner puts his wages into his bag, but it's almost as though it's got holes and he loses it. The Lord of armies continues, and he says, think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down some lumber, and build the house, and I will be pleased with it and be glorified through it. You expected much, but then it amounted to very little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. But why? Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with your own house. 
So on your account, the skies have withdrew the dew and the land its crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields and hills, on the grain, new wine, fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields on man and animal and on all that your hands produce. Then Zerubbabel, the high priest, and Joshua and the entire remnant of the people obeyed the Lord their God. And the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. So the people feared God. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered this message to the people. And he says, I am with you. And this is the Lord's declaration. The Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, roused the spirit of the high priest Joshua, and roused the spirit of the remnant of the people of Israel. And they began to work on the house of the Lord of armies that are God on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Did you get all that? Got it. Remembered. Locked in. Tell me the dates even. No, there's a lot going on here, and we're going to unpack it just a little bit. So when Israel comes back to the land, as what usually happened in their time when they got destroyed and kicked out, everything was destroyed. That includes the temple that was built amongst the nation of Israel. So Solomon's temple and its grandeur and greatness, one of the most beautiful things that was ever built. People would come from miles away. Babylonia absolutely destroyed it down to the rubble. There's nothing left of it. People couldn't even see it any better. And so when the Jewish exiles came home from their captivity away uh, because Babylonians kicked them out, they came home with this good deal of excitement and enthusiasm to be able to go back home to the land that God had promised for them so they could worship God and rebuild their lives. Some of them were still living, some of them had passed away over time, but some of them remember the good old days of being back in the promised land, being with God. And this big importance of the temple is it was God's presence amongst his people. The temple would be set up in the middle of where they would camp and where they would live, and it would be his physical presence amongst them. But the newness of all of them coming back home, it seemed to soon wear off as they began to face the realities of repairing their home, of building their homes, uh, fielding the crops, raising their families because, well, got to eat, got to drink, got to have a place to stay. There's a lot of stuff going on and the daily living just seemed to zap their energy and their attention. And the people became preoccupied with their lives and as time began uh, to be began to get a little bit busier, they kind of lost sight for the reason for going back to being back in the promised land. And the thing that Haggai uh, calls out, he calls out a few things. He calls out them going back home and building up their own homes while God's home is still in ruins. And he uses an interesting word. He says, the panel on your own houses. When When you read a little bit more and you find out a little more detail, is the paneling that they use for their houses was imported into the land and was meant to be used for the temple. The panels that they used on their homes was meant for the temple. And yet, what he calls out to them is that you had high expectations of God. You expected to come back. You expected a nice household to be set up. You expected to get a lot of grain and wheat from the fields, livestock to be doing well, to make a lot of money, to... Uh, be satisfied in drink and food because you've been homeless for a while and you've been away and now you're set up here and they had this expectation of something great of God and yet they had a low faithfulness to God. 
They expected God to do all this, but they didn't do anything. They had put God off to the side and said, we're going to try and work our hand at this. And when you work your hand by yourself, probably most of you have come into it. I have myself. Is I can only take myself so far. My own hand isn't perfect. It's not the best. Those of you who are around me a lot, my wife back there could probably tell you about it quite a bit. I can only take myself so far. And that's what they're running into here. But there's a, there's a beauty kind of at the end of this is that God tells them, I am with you despite. And there's an enthusiasm and kind of a, an energy that's built back up and they're excited. And so we're going to continue in chapter 2, uh, verse 1. It says, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel and speak to Joshua and to the remnant of the people who left among you who saw this house in its former glory. So they're rebuilding the temple. Now he's asking, who amongst you remembers the former glory of the temple? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like it's nothing in comparison? How many of you uh, ever gone and picked out furniture for your home? Me and Hannah did this just recently. We do this a lot, actually, let's be honest. We rearrange our rooms. Not always my decision, she does. And then I get really, no, and then I get really into it. And then I'm like, Hannah, let's just buy everything. We're at Ikea. And you always go there and you're like, oh, this will fit perfect in the room. It'll set up really nice. And you get this picture and idea of what it's going to be. Then you get it home and you open the box and you're like, I, how in the world do I put this together? I need, I need wood panel 14. Where is 14? I don't even see a 14. It only goes up to 11. There's another piece missing. You get it put together and it's wobbly, pieces missing. But you had this expectation and idea of what it was going to be. That's what they're running into. They know the temple and its glory and its grandeur and it's living nothing up to that hype. And it says, even so, be strong. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land. Continue to work, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord says this. This is the promise I make to you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit is present amongst you. Don't be afraid, for the Lord says this. Once more, in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land. I'll shake all the nations so that all the treasures of all the nations will come, and that will fill my house with glory. The silver and gold belong to me. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first. I will provide peace in this place. That's God's declaration there. God sees that as they're going about this, they're getting disappointed and discouraged in this moment because as they're putting their hand to this project, trying to put this temple back to its former glory and what it was, it is nothing like what it used to be. And they're becoming discouraged and disappointed and probably questioning, should we even continue to keep going? And God tells them, he tells them three times, be strong, be strong, be strong. Continue to work, for I am with you. It's not our hand that makes something great. It is God's glory that works through our hands that can make something great. And that's what he's telling them. Continue to work. I will bring glory to this place. 
I will bring the glory. You don't have to, you, no matter how great you make this thing look, doesn't bring it glory. It is God who brings the glory through it. And we continue down in verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came through the prophets. This is what the Lord of armies says. Ask the priest for a quick ruling. If a man is carrying consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and it touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, does it become holy? And the priest says, well, no. Then Haggai asks another question. He says, if, a def- if someone defiled by contact with a, corpse, with a corpse touches any of these, does it become defiled? And the prophet says, well, yeah, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai replies, so is this people, and so is this nation before me, and so is every work of their hands. Even what they offer to me is defiled. Now, from this day on, think carefully. Think carefully before even one stone is placed on another in the Lord's temple. What state, what state are you in? When someone came to a grain, uh, a grain heap of 20 measures, it only amounts to 10. When someone came to a wine press to dip out 50 measures from the vat, it only amounted to 20. I struck you, all your hands, all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, hail, but you didn't turn to me. From this day on, think carefully. From the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, think carefully. Is there still seed left in the granary? The vine, the fig, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yet produced but from this day on, I will bless you. What begins to get a questioning is a little bit of kind of the, it's almost a call of faithfulness in this. Of They're, they're putting their hand to work, and in the Old Testament, we get a lot of this talk about uh, ritual purity. Are you clean? Are you unclean? Are you, are you dirty? Or are you not? Today, we talk a lot about, hey, did you wash your hands? Are you clean? Did you shower today? Did you come out? Because, like, listen... I don't want anyone coming out of the bathroom, touching my coffee and everything like that if you didn't wash your hands. There's hand sanitizer around the room. Use it. It's all right. But, but, but listen, that's kind of a similar situation, but it's not necessarily like a physical, like, hands, like, are, are your hands dirty in this moment? Back then, a lot of dirt and stuff, their hands probably weren't the cleanest. They don't have bleach like we do and go, go to town with it. But it's more of this, this spiritual ritual, like, inner purity of yourself. Thank you. I like you. If the people are unwilling to humble themselves and be faithful to God, then everything their hands touch and create is going to be impure as well. They're expecting God to work through their hands and work through their actions, and yet, on the inner self, they're not in alignment with God. How do you expect God to work through you if God hasn't done a work in you? That's what they're expecting here. They're expecting God to continue to do this great grandeur thing, and yet they're still not faithful to God. They're, they're putting their hand to work, but they haven't been transformed themselves. They're still allowing impurity within themselves to hinder God's outward and work through them. And we finish off here in verse 20. It says, the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the fourth month, 
yeah, 24th day of the month. It says, speak to Zerubbabel. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. We heard this a little bit earlier. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. When he talks about Gentile kingdoms, it just means any other kingdom outside of Israel. I will overturn their chariots, their riders, horses, and the riders are going to fall by each other's sword. On that day, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, and make you my signet ring, for I have chosen you. Remember when I was talking about the, the uh, importance of Zerubbabel being the line of David? He brings it back here. And he gives a glimmer of hope to a future of kingdom in which God can bring about through them if they will allow him to work through them. We begin to get more of this establishment of the messianic king that uh, leads to Jesus and what we begin to see. But God's basically saying, hey, I have authority and power over everything around you. Quit worrying about the other nations. Quit worrying about what other people are doing and saying, and be faithful to me and trust that I can and I will work through you. It's pretty easy to kind of get to the end of this book and just go, man, Israel, what are you doing? Like, get your priorities in line. Go rebuild the temple and follow God, and it's all easy. Check the box and move on. But when you begin to kind of read some of the other prophets and kind of hear what's going on, Ezra does a really good job of kind of giving a big overview of multiple prophets and kind of shares a little bit more of the story of what's going on. Because what you begin to kind of find out is as they come back into the land, and Ezra does a good job of this, you can go back and read that, but there's a lot of outside pressure that was kind of hindering them. They're, when they came in, they were told, hey, go rebuild the temple, everything will be good. And then other people of the nations began to hear that and went and basically protested at the king and uh, calling on them saying, why are you doing, making this decision? Don't let them do this. Don't let them go back and rebuild uh, the kingdom. And people were messing with resources, all that stuff. And they had this outside pressure that, that hindered them. It didn't justify them pushing it off and putting it on the back burner. But it's also a recognition that, hey, when Haggai came, not to beat him over the head, but with love and grace and uh, a nice push, kind of a little kick in the butt, someone to, as um, a good friend of mine likes to say, calls you on your crap, right. kind of gives, gives you that nudge, you begin to see how God's going to work in that and God can work through someone else in your life. Yeah. What I love about this book is it really challenges a few things. It challenges our choices because mm. our choices matter. I mean, our choices matter in terms of just be as simple as this. How are we prioritizing our life in terms of where is God showing up? Are you, are you building God into your own life and allowing him room to work? Or are you so fixated on the stuff that you have to accomplish and things you got to get going? Because don't get me wrong, I know what it's like to live the busy life and just kind of run with emotions, go from work to spouse to kids to family to friends. But, oh, I got to get out on, on the golf course, go on that fishing trip. I got to go on this. There, there's a lot of things that fill up our time. They continue to eat at it. One of the other things that challenges is our, our obedience um, to God and allowing God to work through us. Because God clearly wants to work through his people into the world. That's the whole point of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. God wants to work through his people 
to build his family, to expand the family for generations to come. It's a little bit of where we get some of our sayings around here. But God wants to work through his people. And we see this challenge here in Haggai. And the beautiful thing is what you begin to see of Israel here is usually kind of what happens with a prophet is a few things. Either when a prophet comes to, conf- uh, to confront Israel, they get chased off, they get kicked out, or they get killed. But what Israel did here, it's a little different. They, they kind of embraced the message, and they took it with humility, but they also took it with action. You begin to see the inward transformation slowly, but it also led to an outward expression in themselves. Don't get me wrong, like they had misplaced priorities, but don't we all? Like we, what we make time for shows what we prioritize in our life. I think one of the things that I always, I always kind of struggled with in terms of like church and, and Christianity is one of the things that we always talk about is make time for God, make time for God. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like all for, all for that. But there's also th- ways that we can utilize God where we are and what we're already doing. What's a priority in your life? Most of you would probably say family, would say friends, maybe a career or job or uh, a hobby or a passion. Use God there. When's the last time you made God a priority in your own marriage? Where you said to your spouse, hey, like God's going to be a priority in this. And so like usually you always hear people say, oh, go off and pray by yourself. Do your own quiet, uh, quiet time. Read your Bible. Do this. But like do it with your spouse. Do it with your friends. You can do it with the people that you, you enjoy a hobby with when you're out on the golf course, when you're running a hiking trail. Like There's opportunities where you are with the people you are with to make God a priority in those moments. And I think the, the other piece that comes, and we really begin to see this in, in Haggai, is good things often crowd out some of the best and most important things in our own life. And it happens even on the flip side when bad things are happening. I mean, like, we're, we're all going to experience this. We experience outside pressures. And one of the questions that I always hear a lot is, like, why do bad things have to happen? I'm a good person. I do good things. Why do bad things have to happen time and time again? I mean, we've, we all experience it. We... Um, Heck, I mean, one of the most common things in families, and deal, deal with it in my own, is, is divorce, separation. You lose friendships that you never thought you would lose. You lose, a, you lose a job or career. You get laid off and something happens. You break an ankle. Like, things, things never... One of, the, one of the things that happens is there's never a good time for something bad to happen. Let's break that mold. We often expect as Christians, hey, things should go well in my life because I'm, I'm doing a good thing. Bad things are going to happen. Let's just burst that bubble right there. And what we begin to see here in this story is encouragement in the face of discouragement. Things are going to happen. Times are going to push against us. But what we get to do as a family is there's a level of individual work within it, but there's also the corporate work within it. What you begin to see of what's happening here in this story is Haggai isn't just saying, hey, go do this work by yourself. Go get this fixed. Rather, Haggai's with them for, I think this story goes on for four months. 
he's with them this entire time as they're rebuilding the temple, as they're working to this. It doesn't happen quick. It doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes we expect God to do a work through us before we allow him to do a work in us. And the next piece on that is that we don't give God time to do a work. We expect it to happen in the moment. We say, hey, you got to get this fixed in yourself, in your heart. And yet we don't give them time. We expect it to happen this night, but sometimes it takes a year. Sometimes it takes five years. Sometimes it takes three years. They go away for a bit. They come back five years later, and it's like, all right, God, glad you did it. (laughs) Cool, let's, let's go. It requires patience from us as a family. It requires love, and that's what I, I love about Haggai, is he didn't go in, could have easily just beat him over the head and said, hey, this is a priority, get this corrected, get this fixed, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get it done. Rather, it's a love and grace of a community that said, hey, this is a priority for us, we're going to do it together, we're going to care for this, and one of the easy things, I've been reading a book a lot that talks about, like, uh, time management, priorities, and stuff. And there's another pastor who puts it in a very blunt way, and I love it, is that we can come up with a lot of excuses to put things off, to set aside priorities, to set aside God, to, to continue down the path that we're going through and keep saying, oh, we're just in a busy season. Well, if you keep saying you're in a busy season and you're in another busy season, and that season keeps going for a few years, it's not just a season Rather, it is your lifestyle. And we can make excuses, and, but excuses, they kill hopes, it kills dreams, it kills goals. Eliminate the excuses, and you can start to move forward. Because you, you can either make excuses, or you can make progress, but you can't do both. Come on. Yes. What I... What I am encouraged with, with with generations is we begin to see some of this is the beauty of family and that we are not alone in this. There, there's an individual aspect of allowing God to do a work in you. And yeah, that, that does take time and energy out of yourself, prioritizing God in the midst of your life. But there's also the corporate where we get to do it together, not out of obligation of, well, I have to love that person. I've heard that a lot. I have to love that person. I have to care. I have to be generous. No, we get to love that person. We get to be generous. We get to choose spirit over self. We get to choose give over kids. We get to choose story over sin, progress over perfection, sin over stay. It's not out of obligation that we do it. We do it because we are filled by Jesus. We do it because of Jesus, because we want to see the family expand for generations to come. And when we do that, what Haggai was clearly saying, God will do a work through you and through us. God is on the throne. God does have a vision, a future, a hope for us. Enjoy, even in the moments of discouragement, don't get me wrong, it is going to happen. But will you rely and allow God not only to work through you, but through those around you in your everyday life as we begin to experience moments where we're just pressed, we're compacted, but even in the good moments, things are feeling good and going great. Where's your heart in it? Are you aligned with God? Are you setting Him as a priority in your everyday life and the things that you are doing and allowing to happen? 
Allow God to do a work in you so he can do a work through you. The band's going to come back up here in a second. And what I, my encouragement kind of in this is a few, is for us to just kind of think about this as, as a community, as a family, as we, as we think about where we are and where we want to be. I mean, that's where Haggai is. They're returning to a new land. They've, they've come back and they have grander visions and hopes and dreams of things that they want to see done in their life. And I know a lot of you, and you have hopes and dreams and passions and goals that drive you, that fill you. Maybe you're comfortable where you're at because you just achieved something and you're like, ah, oh, things are great. As a community, how do we continue to see God at work through us? Are you setting aside time? Are you allowing God to be a priority where you work, where you live, where you play, and the things that you are doing in your life to allow God to do a work in you so he can do a work not only just through you, but through us collectively? Will you pray with me? Father, I am always grateful for opportunities where we get to, we just get to gather and worship you. God, that this is the reason why, God, we come together not just because it's something we've done our entire life or something that people say we should do, but God, no, we come together because we love you and we want to do this with others. God, we are so thankful for the family that you, were, you have developed and God, the family that has developed all the way across our country, nations, world, even to the past. God, you are at work. God, I pray that we are able to see that work, hear that work, and know that you can do that same work in us and through us. God, allow us to put ourselves aside, to allow moments of humility, moments of patience, a lot of grace. Lord knows we need it. God, I... I pray that each person can just hear the work that you, you want to do and you can do through their lives. God, we give you this time. We give you ourselves. God, we choose you over the things of this world and desires and things that we could have. God, we want you. Transform our hearts, transform our minds, our passions, our desires, our dreams, our goals to be in alignment with you, God to see your family expand for generations to come. And God, we do this because of your son in his name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed listening to Pastor John. If we have been a blessing to you, please consider donating to our ministry at mygenerations.church. You can also visit mygenerations.church to stay up to date and stay connected with what's happening in and around our church community. Tune back in soon to hear what we are teaching and learning together as a community. I hope we have helped your faith become an everyday faith and live and love well because of Jesus.